Greetings to you this Lord's Day morning in the name of Christ, our Savior. I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. John 13 verses 1 to 20 will be our text for this morning. I want to thank you for having me again fill the pulpit in this season. Thank you for your support of the work in the Mid-South. I would ask your prayers for me as I go to Jackson uh, later today to spend two days updating our partner churches. We'll have about 100 attendees at those two meetings, so all the planters will come and those supporting churches. If you'd pray for that, I would greatly be encouraged by your prayers. Um, This morning, the the text, uh, the title of the sermon is The Character of Community. And we live in an age that talks a lot about community and a desire to have community and fellowship with others. It sounds good until you're a part of one. And maybe that's the struggle that we have, the challenges, and we enter into spaces with other people, communities of people, is that we are dealing with other people like ourselves, warts and all. This is the dilemma. We live in a time as well that everybody wants community, but they want, they want to blame the community for not doing this or that for them. And we want community and we want relationships without sacrifice, which is unheard of in the church. This is the dilemma for the believer to seek community and fellowship with one another because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John Ortberg, in his book entitled Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, has a section called The Porcupine Dilemma. He writes this, the North American common porcupine is a member of the rodent family that has around 30,000 quills attached to his body. Each quill can be driven into an enemy, and the enemy's body's heat will cause the microscopic barb to expand to become more firmly embedded. The wounds can fester. The more dangerous ones affecting vital organs can be fatal. He goes on to write, porcupines don't always want to be alone, though. In late autumn, a young porcupine's thoughts turn to love, fear, and anger make them dangerous little creatures to be around. This is the porcupine dilemma. How do you get close without getting hurt? This is indeed our dilemma too as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this passage, in this text before us, Jesus gets extremely close to his disciples. He gets on his knees. He washes their feet He loves them in the midst of their rejection of them. And even though they will betray him and deny him and all walk away from him, he enters in to love them and serve them. You see, this is the kind of humility and service that forms the character of this beautiful community that we call the church of the Lord Jesus. This is what the beloved Apostle John, closest to Jesus, writes for us today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So let's take up God's Word, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13. John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put in it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, 
tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what am I doing? Uh, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said, you shall ne-, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put out his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You are called, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you, I know who I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the very word of God for us this morning. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come before your gaze this morning. You are high and lifted up. It's hard to even read a passage like this and to realize you as the king of glory came and put on flesh and dwelt among us. Father, thank you for sending your son. And we ask now that you would send your spirit to be with us as we study your word, as we come to the communion table before us today, that we would learn what it means once again to be the community that you've called us to be in Christ, those who are accepted, forgiven, and loved. Help us to see Jesus, we pray, because we ask it in his name. Amen. What are the values that shape or form character in our lives, particularly in the church? This indeed is a dilemma as well, because there's all kinds of influences that shape us. There's all kinds of desires that we have that, that create formations in us. But, but true spiritual formation must come from the gospel of grace, the message of God's grace as it's revealed on the, message, on the cross itself. This message of grace helps us look to the cross of Christ and believe once again that God's grace is received by faith, pushes us out into the world to be servants of the God Most High. You see, grace creates a community of people who are shaped, indeed, by its message. In the text before us, our relationship with God is defined by two things, washing and cleansing. Two things. This is Old Testament ceremonial cleansing language, the language also of 
sacrifice. It's not romantic language, but servant language. Not just customary language, but costly language. And John prepares us, his readers, for this uproom discourse that will take place in John 14 to 17. Those last hours that Jesus will spend with his disciples are not only pivotal, they're indeed powerful. This event, which we've just read about, is an event that would shape the character of their witness as disciples in a lost and broken and fallen world. Here we see the heights of God's love stoop down to wash these disciples' dirty feet. And of course, as this text shows us, so much more. Today, if Jesus Christ has washed you, then you are clean. You're accepted by God, who is your Father. And if this is true, then you're immediately called into service with love for this world for which Jesus came to die, just like Christ. The church is the body of Christ, defined particularly by being washed and accepted in and through his blood and nothing else. So this morning, would you consider with me our first point? We, we are washed by Christ for acceptance in verse 7. John writes this, you do not realize now, but you will afterward. John would recount and recall this story on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of how he was accepted and restored and renewed at this moment. They didn't fully understand what was going on. They couldn't fathom what Jesus was doing by washing their feet. But it's here that John records for us that our acceptance is shown by the washing of the word. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you go back to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. Jesus Christ comes as the word of God. He is the one who comes to renew and restore the joy of his salvation to his people. This word of God, Jesus himself, takes up a basin and a towel to wash and cleanse his people. Jesus showed radical humility and set a pattern of worship and service in the life and ministry of the church. Now, in this, of course, custom and setting, a lower servant would be hired, called upon, to pour the water in the basin and to take up the towel to wash those who attempted to be in that room's dirty feet. No doubt this was a moment in which they could not fathom because they called him teacher. He already refers to that in the text. They know him as Lord and teacher, and yet he's washing their feet. And they can't have anything to do with it. That's why Peter's response is so deflecting, reflecting, a reflecting response, deflecting all the things that are going on in that moment but also reflecting the hearts and lives of the disciples there gathered around that meal, that table. And it is at this moment in Judas's heart when, when evil enters in to betray Christ. This event may very well have been between this foot washing and the foot washing that he received from Mary with her hair and that expensive ointment and perfume in that Pharisee's home. It is at this moment that is repeated at several times of those who are not clean and those who would betray that Judas here, like many other disciples later on, would say, enough is enough. I will not follow this man any longer. 
I will not lose my life for such a weak and scandalous Savior. Essentially saying, Jesus, you are not worthy of my devotion. I will follow you no longer. Good friend, former student here at USM, John Parrott wrote a book, What Would, G- what Would Judas Do? And in the book, the summary is simply this. We're a lot more like Judas than you and I would want to imagine or think. Judas would have won the Disciple of the Year Award. He was a frugal guy. Probably everybody who looked upon Judas thought, now that's, a, that's the kind of disciple I would like to be someday. He seems to be well put together. Good behavior modification at hand. Surely this guy is the true disciple of Jesus. And we're so much like Jesus, I'm at, like Judas, aren't we? That we often, like Judas in this text, who with complains that that ointment was being spent on Jesus, right? And he's stealing money, as the scriptures record for us. He steals money from the purse. That we're so much more like Judas than we want to imagine. That we're stingy with our money. We're stingy with our time, especially in in serving others around us or those in our community. You see, the, the sinfulness of these disciples was meeting the face of the holiness of God in the face of Christ. And I think they couldn't take it anymore. They were being exposed as sinful, rebellious, and hard-hearted disciples, beginning with Judas and being reflected through the rest of the gospel. Our acceptance is shown by the washing of the word, Jesus himself. Secondly, our acceptance is sustained by the promises of God. Verse 1, he says this, John records us, he loved them to the end. I love that verse. He loved them to the end. To the end of what? To the end of his very end of his life where, where it is said and recorded by John, it is finished. He loved them to the end of his life but so much more, right, that he would be with us even to the end of the ages, to the end of all things, that the goal of the universe is to give glory and praise to Jesus Christ. And all the disciples will look back and remember that he loved them to the very end of his life and of their lives as well. This Passover feast was right before their very eyes. This foot washing was at hand of the Passover feast. And Jesus, as the word incarnate, washed those disciples' feet. And by it, he gave the gift of faith. And that's our hope, that the gift of faith, our hearts are washed in his deep and abiding love. They would believe, right? Peter would go on to testify that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus would later pray in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 5 talks about us being, as the church, by the washing of the water with the word pictured in marriage. It's astounding that Jesus washed the feet of his deniers and betrayers. This morning, you may be here denying Jesus, mocking and betraying him in your own hearts. He has come to wash you too. Friends, if you also are a believer in Christ, then betrayal and rejection are a part of your journey in this life in following after Jesus. For he is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, 
recorded in the next chapter. He loved them to the end. And lastly, under this heading is our acceptance is also secure to the washing of the cross. Verse 8, Jesus says, If I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. You see, this foot washing pointed to Christ washing upon the cross. And his cross defines everything about Christians and the church. This is why we need to be forgiven. This is why we need to be washed. Because God is wholly other. And because by nature we are filthy and unclean in our thoughts, our words, and our actions before him. And therefore, this cleansing blood of Christ washes away all our sins from inside out, both perpetually and eternally is our hope. So like Peter in verse 8, we could say along with him in this scripture that we would have our share with him, that is Jesus, that we would be adopted into the family of God, that we would inherit the kingdom of his beloved son. That is what we received and our share of him who pours out his blood for you and for me this very day. And that's hard for us to imagine, I would say, every day, to think our sin is that sinful. That our wayward thoughts and actions, well, that's just what everybody else does anyway. And so we are often people who deny the cross daily because we don't think it requires the shedding of blood. And as the Bible says, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, particularly Christ's blood upon the cross. Donald McLeod makes this point for the church and for believers. He writes this, We want a God whose feet we can wash and whom we can, take pla- we can place in our debt that we can walk into heaven with our heads held high, self-made, self-washed, self-saved, he says. Isn't that really more the posture of our heart? Isn't that really the posture of Judas's heart? Isn't that our struggle this morning is to place our lives at the foot of the cross once again where we sing and say all ground is level at the foot of the cross because blood has been spent and spilled for you and for me this day. I remember the Sunday about year three or four of our church plant, our sanctuary, the old First Pres Sanctuary in 1875 that was placed there, faced to the north. And so every year we get kind of this green, dingy, algae kind of stuff on there. And we were trying to welcome people for Easter. Thankfully, one of the men in the church who has some giant sons who were friends with my son said, hey, look, we will... We will power wash that sucker. We will do that for you. I said, that, Chris, you're amazing. Uh, Thank you. Please do that. So as he did that that weekend, right before we had Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday the next, the the church looked beautiful. He didn't just pressure wash the front. He pressure washed the entire church. Well, one thing we had forgotten was that on the inside of the church, there had been an event the day before because we leased this church, and it was a mess, Right? It wasn't ready for Easter worship. It was a mess. Does that sound familiar in your life? The outside looked great, but the inside was a mess. It's what Jesus said, right? You Pharisees, you religious people, you will look great on the outside, but on the inside you are rotting bones. That is the truth about who we are. But the hope of the gospel 
This shedding of blood gives us great hope and confidence because it supplies us with spiritual water of renewing grace to those who have been washed in Christ's blood. What is so beautiful about these sanctifying waters of grace is how they continually renew us from the inside out. Matthew Henry writes this, Christ washed his disciples' feet that he might signify to them the value of spiritual washing and the cleansing of the soul from the pollution of sin. In Christ, we are washed and we are accepted. I believe our greatest longing and struggle as Christians is to believe this very truth, that God really loves us and that he really has forgiven us and that he really does accept us in Christ and him alone. How do I know this to be true? The text told us. Jesus took up the basin and he took up a towel. And our hope is that by faith in Christ, we move to our daily acceptance in Christ through his cross alone. This is the place where God's eternal and radical love was demonstrated for you and for me. He loved them and he loved them to the end. We are washed by Christ in acceptance. Secondly, we are washed by Christ for service, not just our acceptance. John writes this in verse 12. Do you understand what I have done for you? And in verse 15, you should do just as I have done to you. Mark 10, 45 records that, that God in Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite title to use. He used it most often. It refers all the way back to Daniel chapter 7. It was his way of telling the world he was the Messiah without the people actually knowing except the disciples closest to him. But what does he say about himself as the Son of Man? That the Son of Man came to serve and not be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice that service defines the mission of the church in Jesus Christ. No consumer mentality can be found here. God is not our cosmic bellhop or butler. No, on the other hand, we are actually his servants, right? He gets to tell us what he wants us to do. He directs our lives and our steps in serving him. This is because all sanctifying grace that is received in the gospel produces humility and generosity in our hearts towards others. It is only when our service for Christ becomes sacrificial, messy, and even demanding does it actually become true service. For it is only then, right, it's only at those moments then that we look for resources outside of ourselves. We look to God for grace, to serve him, to love him, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God's grace and mercy are enough. They enable us to serve those that are not easy to serve. And maybe that's your story. You've kind of given up loving your neighbor. Could be your wife is your neighbor. Could be literally your neighbor. Could be your coworker neighbor. Why is that? There's two things. You have forgotten your forgiveness in Jesus being washed for one thing. And secondly, you think you have the resources to love other people, and you don't, and you never have. But his love, as the psalmist would say, is better than life itself. 
Notice what verse 20 says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me and the one who sent me. Jesus referring to his father. That this passage is about the mission of God in the world. It wasn't just to wash their feet and tell them they were accepted. It was to wash their feet and say, you're ready to go and serve me. Now go out into the world and make much of my father, the one whom I came to reveal, the one who has sent me. Notice that service defines the mission of the church. And lastly, this morning, service defines the fellowship of the church, the fellowship of the church. Now, we use fellowship for just about everything and anything. We might even say where two or three are gathered, there's fellowship happening, mate. And that would be a biblical prayer right in Matthew's gospel. But the reality is that the way we think about fellowship is simply just connection or I know somebody or I know her or I know him. And we say, well, we're going to get together and have some fellowship. But fellowship defined in the scriptures is this idea of the spirit joining minds and hearts and lives together by the power and the hope of the gospel. That when we come together, we're actually making the gospel a priority in our discussions and the way we think and live. It's not just gathering. It's gathering for Jesus' sake. It's gathering for his great name. It's gathering for his mission in the world through us. So this service that Jesus gives us is defined in the fellowship of the church. And fellowship is not found in complainers and preference seekers in the church. No, it's only found in service. A service born out of sacrificial love and humility for Christ and his mission in the world. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And later in verse 35, by this, all people, he says, will know that you are my disciples by the way in which you love one another. If anyone could have rightly remained at a distance from sin in us and because of us, it would have been Jesus. But because Jesus possessed intimate fellowship and relationship with his Father in heaven, he wanted this for us too. We see in the scripture how God moves towards his people in weakness and sin. And this means God is always moving towards the weak, the downcast, and the broken, defined by being unclean, by being sinners. Rejoice in your sorrows this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, for God hears you and has led you to that place, and he will hold you fast. Rejoice in your sorrows because your God is there with you. We are blessed to be the church, a body of foot washers for Christ in the world. This is the way of the cross. It's the way of his mission in the world. We must find ways to take up the basin and the towel for our loved ones, for our neighbors, for this community in which we live. Why are you, why are you here today? What got you out of bed? Are you here to worship God? Hopefully so. But maybe there's even a better question. How did you get here? Who was it in your life that showed you Jesus and shared the message of his grace that changed your life forevermore? You are here because somebody led you here as they led you to Jesus Christ. Like those who have gone before us, 
Are we going to give our hearts away to God and for the sake of others, for the sake of Christ's community? If so, we will have to get dirty and messy with others in their sin. And this is because we are washed by Christ for servants. Surely that is your story, and that is my story as well. Christ came to you and washed you clean and made you acceptable before the Father in his sight because he only sees Jesus when he sees you. That is our great hope. The teachings of marriage and adultery by Jesus are two very powerful ongoing biblical realities. They reveal two very different roads, one of faith and the other unbelief before God. It's the biblical story of Hosea and Gomer. And to one degree or another, it's our story as well. We're all spiritual adulterers at some level before our God. One of my friends, who is also a network leader, a senior pastor in North Carolina, shared with us in a, in a gathering together that he had in his congregation four cases of adultery going on at the same time within three months of COVID. And I said to that brother, I mean, how large is your congregation? You've got to be like, you know, a thousand or two thousand people. He goes, no, we're about two or three hundred. I said, that must be difficult to say the least. And it was so difficult for him that he actually took up his pen. He's a great writer. And he wrote a book called The Two Roads. That Jesus Christ really is the fork in the road for either towards biblical fidelity or spiritual unfaithfulness and adultery. And he described those two roads very clearly in the person and work of Jesus. This, my friends, is the fork in the road for the disciples at this moment in the upper room. Maybe you're here this morning and you're lost in sin. You're caught up in adultery online or you're caught up in adultery in this community. My friend... Jesus Christ is the fork in the road. Go to him. Confess your sin and need of him, and you will be washed, forgiven, and accepted. The rest of the story went on something like this, that uh, this, this pastor was so fed up by the, the adultery going on in his congregation, there was one couple that he knew really, really well, and he saw this adulterous moment going to happen. And the man just fled his wife and, and went to Texas and enough was enough for Kevin, the pastor. And so he got on a plane, and he went out and he found that man. And he took him to lunch, and he begged him to come home and love his wife. And that man fell, his countenance fell, he began weeping at the table. And you know what? He got on that plane, and he went back with that pastor, and he went back and loved his wife. And at that moment of their reunion, the wife confessed her sin and hardness of heart towards him. He confessed his sin and being adulterous. And you know what God did? He revealed to them once again that they were washed. They were accepted. And they were clean. And they went on to lead the ministry, of ministry, the ministry of, to couples in their church. That's our hope. My friends, if you've been washed in the blood of Christ, you're accepted by him. He is now your savior and king. And if this is true of you this morning, 
then Hattiesburg is filled with people who are ready and waiting for you to serve them, Jesus Christ. This message of grace. Won't you leave today and find ways to take up the basin and the towel? This message of the gospel, this message of grace. Because his grace will shape and form his ministry in and through you. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to suffer and die upon a cross for us. We thank you that your grace is greater than all of our sin. Where our sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. May you help us see once again our forgiveness in the blood of Christ. And that would give us so much assurance and confidence that we would go out of this place today longing to serve you with new hearts, new attitudes, new energy to make much of Jesus in our homes and our workplaces and this community in which you've placed us. Lord, hear our prayer and help us once again that we would be the community, the beautiful community, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that you've called us to be. And we pray this in your name. Amen.